0: Hello everyone, my name is Doeli Kagotlib and I would like to welcome you to the Gastein Conversations, a podcast produced by the European Health Forum Gastein, an independent European health policy platform for the discussion and advancement of health, solidarity and equity in the EU and beyond. This year we're celebrating a special milestone, 25 years of the EGVG. Initially launched with support from the European Commission and the Austrian Ministry of Health, the forum has developed steadily since, aiming to make a decisive contribution to the cross-border transfer of experience, information, and best practice within Europe and beyond. With this podcast series, we want to mark the occasion by looking back to the beginnings of the HFG, its development over the years, and discuss what role it has played with influential people in our history. We hope you will enjoy this walk down the EHFG memory lane with us. I am delighted to have one of our long-time Gasteiners join us today, if I may call you that, for the Gastein Conversations. A very warm welcome to you, Robert Madeline. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, Robert. Robert is the chairman of FIPRA, a Brussels-based public affairs consultancy. And we're always privileged to be able to count on your advice when we're shaping the yearly program. So we're very thankful for that. But today, as we're walking down memory lane, we should look back at the time when you were working for the European Commission as Director General for DG SANCO first and then as Director General for DG Connect. And I think it was at that time when you were first involved in the Age of G, right? Yes. So do you remember when you first visited the Age of G and can you tell us what the experience was then?
1: Sure. So before I became the Director General for Health, I worked on health because it's everywhere, but I wasn't aware of Gastein. So I joined in 2004 as the Director General for Health at Sanko. And on the day I joined, David Byrne, who is my commissioner, landed in Bangkok and the Thais admitted that they had bird flu. And so right from the first, one thread in Gastine from then until today has been global health, but also health security and pandemic threats and responses to it. So I remember that very well. and My abiding impression of Gastein as a humanistic entity. At the time, you had Dr. Leiner, Boric Flynn still around almost every season. And these are people who believe in the brotherhood of man and in active cooperation. And that's very heartening. It was heartening then, and it, we need it even more today.
0: Thanks, Robert. That's really nice to hear. And actually, what you're saying now basically confirms that we're still walking the path of the founders, more or less. Yes. So basically, yes. our overarching goals have not really changed over the years.
1: No, and I think what's important is to have a very sound philosophy because then you're ready for the unexpected. And I think, firstly, what Gastein has as its USP, its unique selling point, is this humanistic, optimistic, activist approach. And secondly, its openness. For me, working in the Commission, in public policy, with certain suspicions towards certain quarters of our society, Uh, Gastein was always a beacon of openness with its sort of quadripartite view, everybody can come as long as you fit into one of the boxes, and of course we all have different perspectives and maybe even interests, we are honest about that, but that's okay. I think that also sets Gastein apart from some other bits of the world where we discuss health things.
0: Well, thank you, Robert. And as you were saying, we still rest on these four pillars that our founding fathers laid up to now. Is there one specific EHFG moment that is most memorable for you?
1: So there have been many seminal policy discussions, but I have to admit that the moment I remember is in the photo booth for the 20th birthday party, I'm afraid. Wearing a gold sequin top hat.
0: (laughs) Never underestimate social events, right? Yeah. (laughs) But I'm glad you're also mentioning the policy discussions.
1: Yeah, no, but as I said, I think that if you go back to 2004, there was no trust in order to make a collective European response on biosecurity issues, be it a pandemic or anything else and Gastein has been one of the places where core decision makers learn to trust and understand each other more. So I think that's one thread. The second, I think, is the whole space around innovation. I mean, maybe a more serious memory is when you and we and as Electronica in Linz got together and organized some first innovation in health discussions. That remains very important as well, because How will augmented reality improve patient pathways or will it not? These are still big questions, but I think Gastein has been very good at creating, that's again the openness, openness to people, but openness to themes. So you see what the themes are and then you bring people in to discuss them.
0: I actually do remember that session really well too. And it was a bit of an eye opener at the time, I think. So uh, this year, we're celebrating 25 years, and we are proud of that. And in your opinion, in what way has the EHFG contributed to the European health policy landscape over the years? So
1: I've already mentioned a couple of things, Mm -hmm. health security, health innovation, and a broadening of the trusted health partnership. I think the fourth thing I would mention is the notion of Health in all policies and policies for health. Mm-hmm. It wasn't invented in any single place. So I don't think we would claim it was invented in Gaston. But the willingness and the efforts to try and get people who were not in health to recognize that health was a thing for them, that remains, I think, also both a badge of pride for Gasstein and a continuing challenge. I think that the depth and severity of the COVID 19 pandemic has helped to make people more aware that health is central to their lives. But I'm not so confident that in every boardroom, in every school governor's board around Europe, people are remembering that that's true when there isn't a pandemic as well as when there is. And I think that's the challenge now to keep the vision ambitious and broad among different parts of society as we go into a post-pandemic phase.
0: Which is what we're trying to do this year. As you know, we will be talking about a true European health Union or calling for one. So basically picking up from the health and all policies debate and taking it forward exactly what you were saying. So hopefully we will hit the nail on the head with this year's theme. That's what we try to do every year. Yes. It's always quite a process, as you know, to get to a main theme to work under. You were saying before that there are a few things that you would call uh, unique selling points of the EHFG. Is there one specific thing that makes the EHFG unique for you? So I,
1: I do think that in Europe, it is unique as a freestanding forum of many citizen organizations in all sectors of our society to discuss health. Governments have advisory for including on health. Even the European Commission has them. But Gastein stands as a thinking network standing alongside the interested public policy parties. And I think that's a a very important element.
0: Thank you. I think that is, again, something we're quite proud of. I think this has developed over the years to move a bit into that scene as well. A bit of a role of a think tank of really being involved in the discussions, not only offering the platform. When it comes to your work personally, in what way has the EHFG contributed to that? And if yes, in what way? So
1: throughout my professional career, I've always thought that when I went away, I came back with new ideas. So when I was doing trade policy in London, a trip to the OECD in Paris always produced things to be further developed ideas, new thoughts, because you're interacting outside your day-to-day job. And for me, down the years, Gastein has also played that role. So some people sitting other than in Gastein say, "Mm, it's a long way away, but once you get there, you don't regret the journey. And when you come back, you take away, not just friendships and, and new knowledge, but fresh ideas.
0: Thank you. We hear of that complaint a lot, of course, about the the trip (laughs) to Gastein. But as you're saying, usually once people have made it to Gastein, and I don't think the trip is quite as strenuous as it is always portrayed, but once people are in the valley, I think it kind of opens your mind for networking and for discussions. I think the surrounding does its part as well.
1: Yes, and I think if I may say so, that just as the pandemic has changed many things. I think it's changing the way we think about professional international travel. And it remains to be seen where the needle stops. But when I was a supposedly busy person in Brussels, it was always very hard to say I'm going to go for a full week. But of course, if you don't go for a full week, then you say "Ah, all those air miles for two days. And so going for a full week is the thing to do. And I think actually, The short in-and-out trips are the thing which a combination of climate change and pandemic will make us rethink. So in that sense, if you can get people still to come, the likelihood of them staying the distance is higher, and then the benefits will be higher.
0: Which will be interesting to see this year, what the overall mood is. Are people ready for traveling again? Or is it, after all, a bit more comfortable to watch sessions online? I think we all know that the experience is completely different if you're actually physically interacting yes and i think then
1: i mean maybe this is a bit nerdy for a podcast but i think then this question of hybrid events is really challenging i moderated a hybrid event in the last weeks so since the end essentially of the lockdown constraints 75% of people were in the room and 25% online
0: oh wow and
1: I, that's a good balance mm-hmm making it honest for the 25% online so that they get access, etc., is really challenging.
0: Yeah, we will gladly fall back on your experience. <laughs> <laughs> A final question to you, Robert, and thanks again for joining us. Uh, where do you see the of G in 2030? As I was saying, you've been our advisor. I think you know us quite well. So where do you see us going or where do you think we should be going in the next years? The
1: future is hard to predict. I think that the the key is continuity. So I think sticking to the values, remaining an open, forward-looking, action-oriented organisation is going to remain important. I think the breadth of your advisory network will continue to help you to keep ahead of the game. And I think on that basis, the key will be to establish probably multipliers. You have the conference. You have intersessional events, maybe we need more of them. You have the sort of young Gastein network, maybe we need more different networks, I don't know. But I think it's not changing the core, but multiplying it and multiplying the connections in network theory, which I don't really master, but when you do uh, internet connectivity as a policy, you need to think about. It doesn't matter how big the nodes are, it's the frequency of interaction between the nodes that defines the quality of a network. And I think, therefore, where I would aspire to see Gastein continue to grow is in the frequency of its interactions.
0: Thanks so much. That paints a beautiful picture, actually of a network which is something that we've always been proud of thanks so much for joining us today Robert it's been lovely talking to you and hearing about your experience at the EHFG my pleasure and a big thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to the Gastein conversations please look out for our next edition to be aired soon thank you